Welcome to Full Disclosure, a podcast to provide legal information and updates to individuals, businesses and business advisors in South Australia. This podcast is brought to you by Mellor Olson Lawyers, a full-service South Australian law firm. The information, opinions and advice in this podcast are for general information only. In today's episode, we're talking with Mellor Olson solicitor, Mia Chenoweth. Welcome, Mia. Hi, Lucy. It's good to be here. Mia is a family lawyer, and today I've asked her to come along to discuss with us and break down what happens for listeners regarding the settlement of property in a divorce. Sure. Firstly, Lucy, it's really important to distinguish between the terms property settlement and divorce because a lot of people use these terms interchangeably, but they're actually quite different. So in Australia, the term property settlement refers to the final division of assets between parties after a separation. The term divorce is the legal end of a marriage and doesn't deal with the the property issues. So you can have a property settlement without a divorce and a divorce without a property settlement. But if you are contemplating a divorce without a formal property settlement, I strongly recommend you get legal advice because there are certain time limits from the date your divorce can come into effect that may prevent you from obtaining a property settlement in the future. And what this means is that you might miss out on receiving your share of the assets from a relationship. So is it like those American sitcoms? Is it 50-50? No, it's it's not a simple 50-50 split. In Australia, the Family Court and Federal Circuit Court use a five interrelated step process when determining the property settlement of a married or de facto relationship. Okay, so when we talk about property, is it just your house or is there more to be considered when we use the term property? That's Yeah, it's understandable that when you think property, you think real estate. But in the family law context, property refers to all of the assets and liabilities that a party has an interest in or control of. So yes, it is the big ticket items, usually the real estate, bank accounts, vehicles, furniture, shares. That's not an exhaustive list. And it's this this is the first step that the court undertakes, is identifying the assets and liabilities that will be included in the property pool available for division. And this can be the assets and liabilities owned by the parties individually, jointly, or even with another person. So it's important to understand that regardless of how these assets are owned, they're all going to be part of the property pool available for division. Okay. And it's really important that the level of interest and control in relation to trust or company assets, as the court will look at that level as to whether they'll be included in the asset pool as well. So what does that actually mean? How do we go about doing this? So then we move on to the second step, which the court determines if it's just and equitable or fair to actually make any adjustment. So what that means is There was a 2012 High Court case of Stanford which showed that the court's going to do that second step. They need to consider whether it's going to be fair to make any adjustment at all before moving on to the third step. So it's... Which is? (laughs) (laughs) The third step is assessing the contributions. So 
contributions include financial and non-financial contributions at the commencement of the relationship, during the relationship and also post-separation as well. And in addition to financial and non-financial contributions, there's also homemaking and parent contributions, which the court takes into account as okay. well. Right. So can we start with what is considered financial contribution then? Examples of financial contributions are property acquired prior to the relationship commencing, property acquired during the relationship, income, inheritances and gifts and those sorts of things. And some examples of non-financial contributions? Examples of non-financial contributions are um, renovations to the former matrimonial home, there could be gardening, landscaping contributions and things such as unpaid work in a family business. Often it's common for one of the partners to take some time away from work to potentially raise children. Is this considered a contribution? Absolutely. So those contributions are assessed by the court as contributions to the welfare of the family mm -hmm. and that's where the homemaking caregiving contributions are assessed. Earlier we touched on um, inheritances can be a financial contribution. How does this play into effect? Inheritances can be considered a financial contribution. The court's going to take into account a number of factors when assessing those contributions though um, and the value of the inheritance and when it was received and those things like that. There's no hard and fast rule when it comes to inheritances so each matter is going to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, so we've assessed what property is and what types of property and contribution. What's next in this separation? So then the court moves on to the fourth step, which is assessing future needs. And this is where the court looks at whether one party should receive more of the property than the other on account of their future needs. What gets considered in making this decision? So the future needs factors include the age and health of both parties, the property income and financial resources of the parties, and also who's got the primary care of the children under 18. And so once that fourth step has taken place, then we move on to the fifth and final step, which again, the court considers whether it's just and equitable to make a division of property as proposed by the parties. And this is where the court might make a final adjustment to make the ultimate outcome fair for both parties. Okay. Um, one thing that we haven't discussed here, and I certainly wasn't aware of it, was um, the fact that a claim can possibly be made regarding superannuation contributions. Is this, is this correct? It is, it is. But a warning, Lucy, about superannuation. The court's going to take the same five-step process when assessing how and if the superannuation is going to be available for division. So the value of the superannuation when it, was, when it was acquired is going to be assessed and again it's going to be taken on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. Um, we have experienced practitioners at Mellor Olsen who provide advice around the division of assets in a marriage. Can I just ask really quickly, does this apply for de facto relationships as well and the breakdown of both a marriage and a de facto relationship? Yes, it's the same. Okay. I want to thank Mia for her time. Mia, is there anything that you would like to say in parting? Absolutely. A really important thing, Lucy, is before you negotiate your property settlement with your partner, to seek 
advice from an experienced family lawyer. I recognise that it can be a really emotional, stressful time and perhaps you might not be thinking as rationally as you usually are. So it's important to get some initial advice so you're making informed decisions about your property settlement and you're taking into account all the relevant assets and factors. And what we don't want is in the future, you looking back, thinking that you wish you could have got a bit of advice and a bit more information before finalising your property settlement. Well, I want to thank Mia very much for her time today. I think that there was some extremely valuable information and advice in there. Thanks for coming along today, Mia. No worries. The information in this podcast is general in nature. For podcast terms and conditions, or for further information on Mia, Family Law, or Mellor Olsen Lawyers, please visit molawyers.com.au.